So Lord, we sing that, we believe it, there is power in your name. When we find ourselves, Lord, struggling and trying to figure out what to do, let us not forget that there is power only in your name, power to heal, power to bring peace, power to restore. We can run to anything else in the world and it wouldn't satisfy only your name, Jesus. Help us to remember that. Lord, help us to focus on you and your word alone today, God. May it move in power. May you convict us, Holy Spirit. May you challenge us and grow us and uh, shape us into the image of Jesus. It's in that mighty and powerful name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. I got a lot of stuff up here today. All right. All right. Well, thank you, Matt. Thank you for those who are leading us in worship this morning. We do. Greatly appreciate you. Thank you for that. And as always, I want to say a big thanks to Pastor Lee for allowing me to preach this morning. As most of you know that Lee and Susan, their daughter Amy, are in Hawaii visiting their son Daniel and their daughter-in-law as well as the grandkids. And so much needed time for them to do that. So Pastor Lee, if you ever see this, thank you so much. So, well, this morning we're going to be in John chapter 10. And if you would turn to John chapter 10, we're going to read verses 1 through 16. And once you get there, if you'd please stand out of the reverence of reading God's word this morning, John chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. The verses will also be on the screen. John chapter 10, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. In this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, and kill, and destroy. And I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is the hired hand and not the shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. In verse 16, he says, And I have other sheep that are of not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we have read your word today, I pray, God, as we take this opportunity to know you more through your word, pray, God, it would penetrate our hearts, God, that we would open our hearts and minds to what you have said in your word. God, may you be glorified today. May we make much of you less of us. Thank you again for all that you've done for us, your kindness, your grace, your steadfast love towards us. 
We praise you because you are worthy of that praise. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. John chapter 10 is a beautiful passage. And in this morning's message, before we begin to look at these metaphors and these, these similes, I'm glad I read that right because I wrote down smiles. Need to add an eye there. Whoops, sorry. But where Jesus calls himself the door, where he says, I am the door, I am the good shepherd. And before we begin to do that this morning, I just want to say this. I want to say praise the Lord. Praise God for his kindness, for his provision, and his protection for the sheep. Because in this passage, we just read that in his kindness, as the good shepherd, Jesus lays down his life for his sheep. We just read that in his provision as the door, Jesus provides abundant life for his sheep. And we just read that in his protection as the good shepherd, Jesus protects his sheep from the wolves. Listen, our Savior, he is worthy of praise. What a Savior he truly is. In John chapter 10, as I said, a beautiful passage where Jesus uses this figure of speech, these similes, calling himself the door, the good shepherd. And to understand the meaning of John chapter 10 and these titles that Jesus gives himself in these figure of speeches, we first of all need to understand the context as we should with all scripture. You see, John chapter 10 actually begins in John chapter 8. And it wasn't until the later 1500s, early 1600s, when we began to see chapters and verses added into Scripture. And you see chapters 8, 9, and 10 go together. This is at the beginning of chapter 8. We see that Jesus is beginning to be questioned by the Pharisees. And in John 8 and 10, Jesus is also correcting these Pharisees. And towards the end of chapter 8, Jesus tells these Pharisees that Abraham was not their father. Matter of fact, he says, you are of your father, the devil. And of course, that got them riled up. And in John chapter 9, as Jesus moves on, Jesus heals this young blind man, as they called a beggar, and he healed, them, healed him on the Sabbath. Well, of course, when the Pharisees found out about this, it enraged them even more. And they even said that Jesus was not from God. And they even said about Jesus, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? They were saying this about Jesus. And the Pharisees, they were harsh towards the young man that Jesus healed. They were harsh towards his parents. And so as we read into chapter 10, we see this hostility from the Pharisees and how, he, and how these Pharisees, these teachers of the Old Testament law, are associating Jesus' miracles even with the demonic. And these Pharisees, they were demonstrating themselves to be false leaders, false shepherds of Israel. And of course, the steady acknowledging Jesus the Christ as the Messiah, the exact one who was prophesied all throughout the Old Testament from Genesis 3, where he would be the one who would have his heel bitten by the serpent, but then he would strike the head of the serpent, demonstrating that he will overcome death. And all the way to the last book of the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 4, known as the son of righteousness, that he allows the son to land on the arrogant and the evildoers and turning them into stubble, while those who fear God will rise with healing in their wings. And yet after hearing about this miracle where Jesus heals this blind boy in chapter 9, they still rejected Jesus as the Messiah and eventually executed Jesus the Messiah. They were the false shepherds of Israel. 
So here's what Jesus says about them in John chapter 10, going back to the verses in 1 through 6. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out his, all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, in addressing these religious leaders, these Pharisees, who had shown themselves to be very unhelpful and very cruel, and remember the disciples are in the mix, there's a crowd also following Jesus, and in, dress, and in addressing these Pharisees, Jesus is showing the contrast between the heart that the Father has for his sheep and the heart that these so-called religious leaders do, even just for common people. So Jesus calls himself the door for the sheepfold. And the ones who come in by any other means other than the door, those are the thieves, those are the robbers. So Jesus says, I am the door to the sheepfold. Now you see in the New Testament, Jesus uses this figure of speech, this I am, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, and he uses it in the New Testament seven times. And John, if you'll put up this slide, in John chapter 6, Jesus says that I am the bread of life. And if you'll put up that slide, John, that says I am. There we go, yes. So in John chapter 6, Jesus says that I am the bread of life, meaning the one who sustains both the spiritual and the physical life. In John 8, Jesus says that I am the light of the world, meaning the one who guides us in this dark, sin-filled world. In John 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, meaning that death does not have the final word for Christ and his followers. Just as Jesus has been raised from the dead, we too have been spiritually resurrected as Christians, and one day these bodies will be physically resurrected. That'll be a sight to see. Looking forward to that day. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, meaning that Jesus is the only source for the truth and knowledge of God the Father. In John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine, meaning that Jesus gives us God the Holy Spirit who enables us to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, which is what honors God our Father. And then, of course, here in John 10, he says, I am the door, I am the good shepherd. And, of course, all these similes that Jesus uses here are the resounding words, the same words that God said to Moses in the burning bush of Exodus chapter 3 when God told Moses to say, I am sent you, for Jesus is God in the flesh. Now, I personally find it amazing when I hear teachers within the visible church today say that Jesus never claimed to be God. And I've heard that today. And it amazes me because clearly they're not studying the scripture if that's what they believe. Or they've just been duped into believing something else. Because towards the end of John 10, the hostility from these Pharisees get, gets worse. Why? Because Jesus says, I and the Father, we are one. And so Jesus is saying that he is God in the flesh. But getting back to these scriptures of what we just read, Jesus now tells these Pharisees in the crowd who his sheep truly are. Those who are his sheep have come in through the door only, who is Jesus the Christ. 
And those who have entered by any other means, those are not God's sheep. See, Jesus, as our shepherd, tells us that the gatekeeper opens the door for him so he can call his sheep. You see, when we understand the, the, the role of the shepherd, at nighttime, when the shepherd goes to sleep, he has what is called a porter. And the porter is the gatekeeper, and he protects the sheep at night. He watches over the sheep. So the gatekeeper's job, as I said, to protect the flock by night. And the only one that the porter, the gatekeeper, is allowed to let in is the shepherd. That is the only one they are allowed to, uh, to, to permit to let in. And this is why in verse 3, Jesus says, To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And these sheep, they follow their shepherd. Why? Because they know his voice. Now, I want to be very clear on this. I've heard a lot of teachers today use this verse right here where it says, the sheep hear my voice, and they know who I am, and they follow me. And I've heard a lot of teachers today will say, well, they'll use this particular verse saying, well, this is God audibly speaking to you, that you're supposed to have this unique revelation from God that he's speaking to you. Well, no, that's not the context of what we're reading. This verse is not talking about this unique divine revelation about us audibly hearing God's voice like the Old Testament prophets did. No, within the context of this passage, Jesus is talking about the call of salvation. See, once you truly know who the good shepherd is and you've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we have no desire to follow those who don't profess Christ as the Savior, as the Lord. We don't trust the voice of these strangers because those who don't profess Christ as the Lord within the visible church, those are the false shepherds. And the false shepherds, they don't know the sheep, but the good shepherd he knows them, and he calls them by name. Being that this part of the passage is dealing with this glorious salvation that God provides for his sheep, the reason that the shepherd knows them by name is because their names have been written down in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. And what a peaceful, comforting thought that truly is, that through Christ our salvation is eternally secure. Great thought to know. And most shepherds during biblical times, they were very hardworking people, the hardworking men, and they just tended to their sheep only. They didn't have a lot of money. And the majority of the shepherds had smaller flocks of sheep. And because of this, they would give names to each of the individual sheep. And that's something that we should understand. That should relate to us. You know, I'm sure we all have animals that we have named, and we've personalized their name. They have meaning to us. I have a family member who loves Wheel of Fortune so much that they named their dog Vanna. Strange. Weird. Okay? Some of us, we treat our animals like they're humans. We let them sleep in our beds, let them lick us in the mouth, but we're not going to talk about Shannon Young today. Just kidding. We love Shannon. But I digress. But getting back to this, the shepherds would individually name their sheep. And this shows the personal intimate relationship that the shepherd has with his sheep, much like our Savior has with us. These false shepherds, again, they don't know the sheep. They don't tend or care for the sheep. They are only there for their own agenda, not for the safety or the well-being of the sheep. And honestly, this is nothing new. False shepherds have been taking advantage 
even before this event in John chapter 10 took place. Look what God says in his righteous anger to Ezekiel about the false shepherds of Israel. And this is Ezekiel 34, 1 through 6, and the words will be on the screen. So the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, talking about Ezekiel, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. This is divine revelation from God, the Holy Spirit, speaking to Ezekiel to correct the false shepherds. It says, thus says the Lord, all shepherds of, of, of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to seek for them. Now this should remind us of Jesus' words to Peter in John 21 when Jesus asked Peter the question, do you love me, Peter? Peter responds, of course, you know all things, Jesus. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. That's the role of the shepherd is to feed the sheep. And you see, this has been a battle for the souls of mankind for ages, that in the schemes of the devil, Satan uses these false shepherds to pull people away from the call of God's salvation. But the sheep hear that call of salvation. Of course, not without a struggle, not without agonizing. That's why in verse 4 it says, he has brought them all out. He has brought out all his own. He has brought them out of their comfort zone, out of their worldly condition, of course, for these Jewish people, out of their religious trappings. But the good shepherd loves his sheep and calls their name. And he goes before us, leading us like a good shepherd does. Now, I want to share with you real quick. I brought this hymnal up here. And most of you, if you don't know, my, I've talked about my family before, my upbringing. My dad was a Southern Baptist minister. And in the majority of his ministry, he was a music minister. And he taught me how to read music by reading a hymnal. Okay, And I know it's probably some of you probably know what, what I'm talking about when I tell you, you, know, tell you this. Um, several years ago, I don't remember when, but my dad gifted me this exact hymnal. Now, as I look at it, it has some wear and tear on it. There's a big dent in the middle. I don't know why. Probably my child was using it to hit the other child. The pages are not so white anymore. Matter of fact, they're yellow. There's some, it's kind of dingy. But my dad actually taught me how to read music by reading a hymnal. And so my dad gifted me this. And, and I love looking through this sometimes. It's like if I just want to, you know, you know, get back, you know, and, and reminisce a little bit. Sometimes I would like to look through here and read some of the theology that's written down. Here's a good one. We have heard the joyful sound. There you go. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Keisha, you want to sing that? Okay, never mind. All right. So, yes, but I love looking through these. These have some great music. Oh, on Jordan's stormy banks I stand. I need thee every hour. I've got peace like a river. What a great spiritual that one is. But I, I tell you this because, and I bring this up here, because 
One of the first songs that my dad taught me how to read, and he taught me how to understand music, very simple song. It's a 4-4 time signature, very simple. That's a very common time signature, four beats per measure. The other four represents the quarter note, so that gets one beat in the measure. It's in the key of C, which is probably the easiest key, and to kind of help you understand, if I go over to the piano over there, it's all the white keys on the piano. And so, did I say piano? I do apologize. All right, sorry. That's the Azel coming out in me. Anyways, with that said, very, very easy to understand. It's key of C major, 4-4. Four, four. This song has no accidentals, which are notes that are from a different key signature put into this key signature. But anyways, my dad, this was one of the very first songs he taught me how to read. And I thought it was kind of interesting how this song... It's the song, He Leadeth Me, O Blessed Thought. And I wanted to read these words to this hymn for you. Starts off by saying this, He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort fraught. Whatever I do, wherever I'll be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. Think about our kind, great shepherd that leads us. Verse 2, sometimes mid scenes of deepest gloom, sometimes where Eden's bowers bloom, by water still or troubled sea, still tis his hand that leadeth me through the hard times in life, through the good times in life, is still Christ who is our shepherd. Verse 3, Lord, I would clasp thy hand in mine, nor ever murmur nor repine. Content whatever lot I see, since tis thy hand that leadeth me in the last verse. And when my task on this earth is done, when by thy grace your victory is won, even death's cold wave I will not flee, since God through Jordan leadeth me. And of course, if you know this hymn, the chorus says, He leadeth me, he leadeth me by his own hand, he leadeth me, his faithful follower I will be, for by his hand he leadeth me. And I remember being one of the very first songs that I memorized or that I, that I learned how to read musically. But just to think of the message in that song, it is God's hand, the gentle shepherd who leads us. And Christians, be encouraged today that your Savior, your God, he knows you by name. He leads us out. He knows what we need. Our great shepherd is still leading us to this very day. And then going back to the scripture in verse 7, it says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. And he says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not the shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd." And in these verses we just read, Jesus reiterates this point, that he is the only door for the sheep. 
and that all others are just the thieves and the robbers who the sheep will not listen to. Now, there's a video on the YouTube. I like saying the YouTube because the youth cringe when I use that terminology. But there's a video out there, and I wanted to show it today, but there's, there's a person in the video that just, just is just talking and talking, just ruins the video, honestly. But in this video, there's a shepherd, and he has people trying to come up to call his sheep. And they come up there, they're, they're making their call, and the sheep aren't listening to them. And four or five people come up, and they try. Nothing happens. Well, all of a sudden, the shepherd walks up. He begins his call. All of a sudden, their heads perk up, and they start coming right to the shepherd. And then on the other side of the hill, you see all these other sheep coming because they heard their shepherd's voice. The reason they know their shepherd, in verse 9 gives us this context, and I want to read this again, verse 9. He says here, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. They know the voice of their shepherd because he is the door. He is the only means of salvation. And through the good shepherd, the sheep go in and out and they find pasture. Well, what does that pasture represent? That's their freedom. And through Christ, we are saved and we have freedom from sin. We have freedom to serve one another. And we find our pasture, our freedom in the word of God. And I want you to consider these two verses, Galatians 5.13 and James 1.25. And if you'll put these up, John, Galatians 5.13 tells us this, for you were called to freedom, that's the pasture, brothers and sisters, but only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. That means don't use your freedom to indulge in sinful, be in your sinful nature. But he says this, but serve one another through love. We can serve because we've been given freedom through Christ. James 1.25, the half-brother of Jesus says, but one who has looked intently at the perfect law, that's the word of God, the law of freedom, and has continued in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer. This person will be blessed in what he does. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, says that the only way that you're blessed with this freedom is not by hearing the word, but doing what it says. See, God's sheep, his people, they find their freedom in the word of God. Then in verse 10, we see the agenda of the false shepherds and the false leaders that are in the church. But I do want to address something that is very, very important in verse 10. And we could probably quote this verse. It tells us that the thief, the thief comes to only steal, kill, and destroy. Now, I'm going to tell you this. This verse is widely taken out of context. Matter of fact, I've seen many, many popular teachers within the visible church today saying that it is talking about Satan, that he is the thief, and that he is the enemy that has come to only steal, kill, and destroy. Again, using this specific verse to justify this. Well, yes, these are characteristics of Satan for sure. John chapter 8, 44, Jesus says that Satan is a murderer and a liar from the beginning. Revelation 12, we see that Satan is known as a deceiver and the accuser of the brethren. 1 Peter 5, 8, they say that Satan is a roaring lion, lion seeing who he can devour. Ephesians 6 even encourages Christians to put on the full armor of God to protect us from the devil's scheme. So yes, these are characteristics of Satan for sure. But within the context of John 10, this is not talking about Satan. Jesus is calling out these false shepherds, these false teachers, that they are the thieves, that they are the robbers who only come to steal, kill, and destroy. That is their objective. 
They have no business being in the house of God. They have no authority in the house of God. Why? Because they are not about the work of the kingdom of God. Now, we're going to go back to this a little bit later, but I want us to focus on what the great shepherd provides. Jesus says that I came that they may have a life and have it abundantly. That word abundantly in the Greek is the word parasos. And it's actually a mathematical term, meaning all around or more than. And then in the Koine Greek, the most common Greek, it is actually translated as over the top. See, that's the miracle of regeneration for the believer, that when we hear the voice, the call of salvation, and in that we step into eternal life with Christ our Savior, that's life abundantly because it's eternal. I love what the great theologian Charles Spurgeon said. He's a preacher from the 1800s. He says this, and we have this quote on screen. It says, The abundant life in Christ is above all the contended life in which our contentment is based upon the fact that God is far greater than every emergency and is able to supply all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's life abundantly because Jesus eternally changes us. Going back to the scriptures and what we just read, Jesus said it so plainly that there could be no mistake in what he meant You see, Jesus fulfills every attribute of a good shepherd for the people of God and also as it was illustrated in the Old Testament and in that culture. Think about this, Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. That's life abundantly. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Very popular psalm that probably most of us know and can even quote. But you see, that's what the good shepherd does, what the good shepherd offers for his sheep. He lays his life down, his perfect life down. He provides their every need and to the fullest. He doesn't abandon the flock like the hired hand who thinks the flock is there for his own benefit, for his own personal gain. No, he loves his sheep. He's an advocate for his sheep. And when the wolves, these false shepherds, these false teachers come in, he fights for his sheep. He never leaves them, nor does he forsake them. And then in verse 16, we see something very interesting where Jesus says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So back in verse 1, Jesus used the phrase, used the word sheepfold. And that area of the sheepfold is where the sheep go, where they're guarded. And this sheepfold that is mentioned in verse 1, you see that's actually the Jewish people that Jesus is talking about, the true house of Israel, the true descendants of Abraham. Because remember, Jesus just told the Pharisees, you're not of your, uh, Abraham is not your father, you're of the fa- your, your father the devil. 
And so here, Jesus says his sheep in verse 1, this is the Jewish people. But now in verse 16, he said, I have other sheep that I have to bring in. That's the Gentiles. That's us. Those who are outside of the Jewish faith, the ones that believe, the Jews that believe that uh, Jesus is the Son of God, And now we see that Jesus is bringing in the Gentiles. Remember, Jesus came to save the Jews first, and then this sheepfold, who are the Jews who believe that Christ is the fulfillment of all the messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. And Jesus, in his kindness and his grace, extends this salvation, this call of salvation for anyone else. As Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What is the gospel that translates to the word good news or to the phrase good news? Well, what's the good news? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised from the dead in accordance with the scriptures. That's the good news that Paul is not ashamed of. He says, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. What a gracious shepherd Jesus is. And you see, verse 16 is fulfilled prophecy, which is all throughout the Old Testament, that this Messiah would unite both the Jews and this, uh, this other nation, which we now know as the Gentiles, to make one flock and one shepherd. And Paul also gives us an amazing picture of how this happened. For those who were once separated but are now part of the one flock with the one shepherd. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. Paul just beautifully puts this. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were one, excuse me, remember that you were at one, at time, excuse me, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. ordinances, That's Jesus keeping the law for both the Jews and the Gentiles that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off. That's the Gentiles. And peace to those who were near. That's the Jews. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That's awesome. That's amazing. That the kind, gentle shepherd provided for his sheep of the Jews now offers this to the Gentiles. Now, real quick, I do want to go back and address verse uh, verse 10, where we see that the role of the false shepherds is to only steal, kill, and destroy, and that the role of the great shepherd is to give life abundantly. One of the ways that Jesus, our great shepherd, does this is by providing what we call under-shepherds in Scripture. Those are the pastors and the elders to help govern and properly exhort the church. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, 
Peter, the same disciple who's with Jesus, an apostle who was also a pastor in Jerusalem, he says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He says this, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That's the church. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Again, one of the ways that Jesus, the chief shepherd, provides and protects his church is through the under-shepherds, the pastors, and the elders. And according to God's word, they are to lead by example as a shepherd with all wisdom and knowledge that comes from God's word, not abusive, not harsh, but with care as they feed the sheep. But when it comes to the role of the pastor, we have a very specific and direct command from God of how the pastor is to feed the sheep. And I want to turn your attention to 2 Timothy chapter 3, going into chapter 4. It tells us this. Paul says to young Timothy, a pastor, and he tells this for all pastors. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The man of God, that's the pastor. And he says this starting in verse 1 of chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Here's the command. Verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. We are seeing this in the visible church today. And they will turn away from listening to the truth, which is found in God's word, and they will wander off into myths. As for you, he's talking to the pastor, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So as Paul gives this command for the pastors under the divine inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, it is the pastor's job to lead, protect, and feed the flock by preaching the word. Listen, if I myself, Pastor Lee, or anyone else comes up here claiming that we're going to properly build, exhort our church, and we give you the ABCs or the one, two, threes of how to be financially prosperous, or we're up here begging for money, or we just give you our, our opinions, our political ideology, or maybe we just use a Bible verse here or there out of context, or we give you this shtick that this is what God told me to tell you. No, we are standing in direct disobedience to what God said, how you are to feed the sheep. We are commanded to preach the word. As Jesus told Peter again in John 21, if you love me, feed my sheep. Jesus, the chief shepherd, he loves his sheep so much that he lays his perfect life down for us, providing every need eternally. And he is the one who holds the power of life and death 
That's Jesus, who was the slain shepherd, who is now the risen shepherd, and he stands in that resurrection power as the great shepherd. Maybe this morning you were here today, and you're a sheep without a shepherd. Today, you could change that. The Bible is very clear in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. I'm included that, every single one of us in this room. We are sinners. We have fallen short of God's glorious standard of perfection. We couldn't meet that. There's no way we could. But Jesus did. And the Bible tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. In other words, the payment for our sin is death. And Jesus paid for us by dying on the cross. And as he died upon the cross, offering forgiveness for our sins, that way we could be bridged back between God and man, have that bridge there. Jesus paid that debt because the verse continues on by saying the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And to prove that he wasn't just a man who said all these things, that he was going to die for the sins of his people, he proved to the world that he is God by rising from the dead. He is God. He overcame death. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 17 tells us that if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile and you were still in your sins. Jesus proved that he forgave sins. Jesus proved that he is God by rising from the dead. And that same gospel that Paul says that I'm not ashamed of, if you believe Jesus died for you, if you believe Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible says that you are saved. And today I want to give you that opportunity to make that decision. If you're here today and you need to find someone, I pray that you go find that person and say, I'm going to draw the line today and I'm going to stand with the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. He is going to be my shepherd, and I'm going to be one of his sheep. And I pray that today you would find someone to, make, to help you make that decision. So let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you love us. Thank you so much that you take care for us. That you have laid down your perfect life for your sheep, which we do not deserve. And God, I tell you that I stand in awe because I'm a sinner. Lord, I know that we all are. And I pray today, Lord, that we just realize that we are nothing and you are everything. God, there's not enough strength, not enough words, not enough intellect, ability that we can muster up to save ourselves. You are the only one who could do that. God, thank you so much for providing your son. And I pray today, if there is anyone here who needs to trust in Jesus to be their Savior, I pray that they make that decision today. God, I thank you for this church. I pray, God, that through the teaching of your word, through the freedom that we have in serving one another, God, that we will feed the sheep of the flock. Lord, help us never to take that for granted. God, again, we thank you so much for your wonderful provision for your sheep. May you be honored today. May you be glorified. Pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.